On today's episode, we're talking product-led everything. First up, a chock-full Twitter thread by user pilots Azar Alishad on product-led growth, plus an AppQ's Salesforce launch, and the Product Marketing Alliance drops its 2019 state of product marketing. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it's Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Abby Sullivan. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. Now your daily subscription digest. User pilots Azar Ali Shad has begun his latest Twitter storm with quite the compelling question for the product peeps out there. How do you run sales in the era of product-led growth? It's a good question, and Azar obviously knows the answer because he tweeted out a string of responses making for one long but informative thread. And we know PLG has been used by some of the most successful SaaS companies for years, but it's actually only in recent months that the wider community has taken full notice of it. And I find this tweet certainly relevant because I feel like I've seen a lot of PLG articles lately. So Azar breaks down what PLG means, how to do PLG sales, and how to qualify users right from the beginning. Super helpful. Exactly. And I really like how he brings in how user pilot does this itself. So you know his advice is credible. Yeah, I think using his own company as testimony is it's good for credibility. But I'm curious to know what you think his argument on how PLG is important right now is. Well, Azar points to the market as huge here. He also looks to customer demand and customer acquisition cost as increasing. And as we know, PLG can improve your customer lifetime value. And if we look at the product-led version versus sales-led approach, there is a solid juxtaposition here. Yeah, I could see that juxtaposition for sure because traditional sales is literally cold. You're cold calling, you're cold emailing, whereas PLG feels a little more natural. You're using your product as an intro to customers. And I think our ProfitWell team would agree with PLG. Um, of course, we believe, though, that having a strong product, it's accompanied by strong pricing as well. Yeah, and in the end, it's almost like we're back to English class, right? He says it's all about showing, not telling. I do love a good session of show and tell. Brings me right back to the fifth grade. All right, thank you to Azar for bringing it to Twitter, dropping the knowledge on the regular. You can follow him for yourself directly at Azar Shad. That's A-A-Z-A-R-S-H-A-D. And we're officially joining the party as AppQs tweets out information on its new integration with Salesforce in an aim at creating better customer conversation. So what's it all about? Well, AppQs founder Jonathan Kim is saying the real power of this integration is that it's bi-directional. With the launch, users can target and segment in-product experiences in AppQs based on fields in Salesforce. So think plan type, lifecycle stage, and MRR amount. And apparently, no technical skills are required to map the data, but once I get my hands on it, I'll see if that's if that's really true. On the flip side, though, with the integration, you can update a lead in Salesforce when they complete your AppQ's onboarding checklist, generate a list of users who've completed a goal, or tag contacts in Salesforce with their NPS score. I hope this one's a helpful hint to you guys. Back to you, Abby. The Product Marketing Alliance releases its State of Product Marketing Report for 2019, a consensus to better understand the role, which surveys the product marketing community to delve into its influence, responsibilities, organizational structure, and more. The report also contains interviews with 10 product marketing gurus from 
big companies like HubSpot, Intercom, Typeform, Twitter, Uber, and Envision to get their recommendations on what the product marketer role should look like today and in the future. But why create such a report and why care? Well, it's aiming to create a consensus and deeper understanding of the role. Since there's so much variation in what product marketers actually do across different types of operations and industries, the report points out, it makes it difficult to define the role. But product marketers can't live up to their true potential if there isn't a clear vision and definition of responsibility. So we want to know what one of ProfitWell's own thinks of this one. Neil, you're the product go-to here. What's up for the future of this realm of marketing? Is this state of marketing report even something you should care to heed? I think this report is extremely accurate just because of how it captures not only the frustration, but the realities of how product marketing has evolved in subscription companies today. And the report finds that most product marketers surveyed are responsible for five plus products. Is that just absurd? Yeah, that's really high. I mean, when I think through the pillars of product marketing, everything from positioning, packaging, pricing, and beyond, that's a lot to own, right? So to do it well and to do it thoroughly and to be creative, an age where it's only become harder and harder to become noticed, that's very surprising, but understandably difficult from this report. And they talk about frustrations of product marketers. Do you agree with any of these? I totally agree with it, right? Number one, no one, there's no consistency in who owns product marketing. It's different at different companies. So some companies it's under product at other companies it's under marketing. And that means that there's no ownership and there's no set way of how to go about influencing the rest of the company. Lack of resources and bandwidth is a constant struggle, I think, for product marketing because of course, design and engineering and product typically get the the lion's share of these resources and marketing sort of seems like the secondary thought. But the reality is that this distribution is just as important and, and shouldn't be. They also mentioned advice for decision makers like better defining PM roles and giving these marketers a seat at the leadership table. What's something different you might personally advise? I think it would go a long way for decision makers and leadership to start hiring product marketing earlier, right? When you bring product marketing in, when there's already a system in place for product development, for content marketing, for distribution, for all the other functions of marketing, it sort of seems like it's not a priority and valued. So number one, bring product marketing in earlier to be an integral part of the culture and the process of the team. And the report uncovers all sorts of goods. If you're tight on time, there is an overall findings page. But if you're curious for more, you can download the report in full. We'll send you a link in your subscriber newsletter. If you're not signed up, as always, head to recurnow.com for Intel on the reg. And that's today's subscription news. Next up, we read books so you don't have to. Today on ProfitWell Book Club, Abby breaks down high output management by Andrew Grove. As a modern-day manager, you can't just go by one script and expect your team to work at their fullest potential. The job is flexible and dynamic, and any help you can get figuring out what your roles are and when to play each one should be taken advantage of. On today's ProfitWell Book Club, I dive deep into high-output management, written by Andrew Grove, a Hungarian-born American businessman, engineer, author, and a pioneer who claimed being a manager is a lot like being a sports coach. You need to gather information on the situation at hand, put the players where they need to be, and motivate them to push harder than the competition. High output management at its core reinforces the idea that modern managers need to roll with the punches in an ever-changing working world. In it, Grove drives home four key points. Point number one. 
Management requires a thorough understanding of the production process. In any production, there are several moving parts that need to work together in perfect rhythm to achieve results. As a manager, your job is to identify bottlenecks in the process and take the appropriate action that keeps things moving. Point number two. Collecting and sharing information is crucial for management and employees to make educated decisions. If your work meetings seem like a waste of time, we've all been there, you're probably doing them wrong. As with every relationship, communication is key. And when your job is to gather information and make decisions, meetings are a crucial part of the puzzle. Point number three. Most underperformance can be attributed to lack of motivation, which falls on the manager. Money might be why you show up, but it shouldn't be the end-all be-all. Part of being a manager is motivating your team to achieve more than they thought possible. This can mean leading by example, giving constructive feedback, or encouraging a little friendly competition. Point number four. There's no perfect management style that works under all conditions, but there is a way to figure out which approach is right for the situation. A top-down approach to management may have worked back in the day, but as our attitudes towards success have changed, so has management. By taking into account each individual's task-relevant maturity, their competence for a particular job, a manager can adjust on the fly and be what that person needs to do their best. So, do you need to read high-output management? High-output management is abundant with advice and observations and a good read to have on hand. This is one I've read over and over again, whether it be in full or sections at a time. If you feel like you're set with the brief points we went over, skip ahead, but I'd listen on for the extended takeaways. And if you're still intrigued after that, it is worth the buy. We digested high output management from cover to cover so you don't have to. Remember, we have four main points here, so let's dig a bit deeper into each one and see what we can unpack from Grove's take. Point number one. Management requires a thorough understanding of the production process. Grove says managing a production process is a lot like serving breakfast. Okay, stay with me on this one. Let's say your job is to deliver toast, coffee, and a boiled egg to a customer. The boiled egg has the longest prep time that should be considered when deciding the order of operations. Toast and coffee both have fairly high profit margins, but when you factor in extras like butter, jam, cream, and sugar, the cost begins to add up. Do you bring the accoutrement with every order or just by request? For your customers, does it make more sense to have imported small batch coffee where you charge by the glass or endless refills of something less pricey? Depending on sales, does it make more sense to invest in a second toaster or a second coffee maker? All the while, you need to make sure that any issues with the plate are caught before going out to the table, where a little problem can turn into a big, costly one. Point number two. Collecting and sharing information is crucial for management and employees to make educated decisions. Never forget that management is a team effort. When one of you fails, you all fail in a way. That is why two-way communication is crucial for both you and those you manage to succeed. Meetings are how management communicates with staff. It's true that for most managers, meetings are the bane of their existence, but without them, how would you gather information, communicate expectations, and serve as an example to the team? Not every meeting needs to be in the boardroom with a PowerPoint and handouts. Something as simple as casual conversation or a walk to get coffee can have further reaching results than a pre-planned meeting. Meetings that provide staff with feedback are another important managerial tool. This way, you make sure you and your team are on the same page. You determine their individual strengths and weaknesses, and you motivate them to get more done. Point number three. Most underperformance can be attributed to lack of motivation, which ultimately falls on the manager. When you have an underperforming employee, you must ask yourself, are they not up to the task or are they just not putting in 100% effort? When determining the root cause, ask yourself the question, could they do the job if they're like dependent on it? And you won't need to put on a battle royale in order to figure it out. Most of the time, your team just needs some extra motivation. While money is the end goal for any job, it's not the only motivator that works. For competence-driven employees, showing them areas where they can expand their knowledge might be motivation enough. 
enough. For others, showing an interest in their personal growth can garner loyalty. Sometimes a little good-natured competition is the push your team needs. And above all, lead by example. If your employees see you putting in the time, hours, and the help where you can, they will follow suit. Point number four. There's no perfect management style that works under all conditions, but there is a way to figure out which approach is right for the situation. Nothing in life is simple, management included. Barking out orders may have worked in a turn-of-the-century factory, not so much in 2019. But when you have a hundred places to be and a thousand things to do, hand-holding isn't a much better option. Instead, take your time and learn your employees' strengths and weaknesses. Put them in a position to succeed and gently nudge them in the right direction. Task-relevant maturity, or TRM, is a great way to quantify the skill set each individual on your team possesses. Karen from HR may be a wizard at paperwork, managing schedules, and remembering birthdays, but she might not have the stoicism necessary to give impartial performance reviews. You know that you don't need to look over her shoulder when she plans the office holiday party, but it might help if you're in the room for quarterly evaluations. By knowing when to ease up and when to buckle down, you can manage far more effectively. Again, high output management is abundant with advice and observations and a good read to have on hand. This is one I've read over and over again, whether it be in full or sections at a time. All in all, it is worth the buy for anyone in a managerial position or those looking to get to that level. Hang out with us next week. And if you have a book you want us to break down, send it over to abby at recurnow.com or tag us on social with hashtag recurnow and we will get it on the list. Before you go, a look into a game we call Name Your Price. Name Your Price is a game in which players are prompted with questions of monetary value. I'm going to go half a million. $100. <laughs> 300 bucks a month. 100000 $5,000. <laughs> I'm saying 500 k Tomorrow, we're asking our team. All right. How much would I have to pay you to give up all your social media accounts? Find this and more like it on RecurNow.com. October 23rd, Recur Now in the books. Thank you for joining us. Remember, if you have news you want to share, let's collaborate. Send me a note at abby at recurnow.com and we'll see how we can get things going. We want to feature our neighbors in this space, so we're all in the know. And if you have teammates or pals that aren't already on the list to receive daily episodes, get them over to recurnow.com to sign on up.